Welcome to my favorite podcast with Noah Marger. I make mistakes, I'm out of control, and at times, hard to handle. But if you can't handle me at, at <laughs> but if you can't handle me at my it's on the list, then baby, you sure as hell, <laughs> sure as hell don't deserve me at my favorite podcast. That was, uh, that was Marilyn Monroe <laughs> who said that. Uh, that sucks. It's the worst one yet. That is, that is the worst one yet, guys. <sighs> Anyone else just been, just got insanely tired all of a sudden? You <laughs> should just call this off. Let's just reschedule. Shut up! Shut the fuck up! I'm going to introduce you in a second. Okay? Just be quiet until I introduce you. Yep. Cool. <sighs> all right, everybody. Welcome back to it. <laughs> Welcome back to my favorite podcast. This is the podcast about people's favorite things. I, of course, am your your low dog servant. I don't know what that means. I don't know what low dog means, but well, it smells like up dog in here. Uh, I'm your I'm your humble host of the show, Noah Marger. Thank you for joining us. We're off to a little bit of a silly start today. I like it when we're off to a little bit of a silly start. It's fun for me. I'm gonna be silly on this show today because I got a silly guest. And turn my fucking phone ringer off. You guys probably heard me lock my phone. Everybody go ahead and just turn your fucking phone off right now if you're listening to this. Go ahead and uh, turn your fucking phone off. Turn your phone off if you're listening to this. Thanks. Okay. My guest today. Guest, I'm sorry. Did I scare you too much? You you can talk if you want. No. Okay, cool. Uh, my guest today is a versatile director who has directed some of your favorite music videos. Some of those include Dante Elefante's Rare Attractions, Maya Lucia's Sad Girl, and Claire's Crybaby. But he's also directed some narrative shorts as well, and those are excellent. Some of those include the lauded, everyone saying how good the two leads are in this short, Horse Girl. But you don't want to watch it because the host of this podcast is actually in that one, and he sucks. He stinks. Uh, but you definitely want to check out Planet Cosmo uh, because that's an excellent movie. Uh, well, Horse Girl's an excellent movie. There's just a really bad actor in it named Noah Marger. Uh, I did lose out to the part of the little kid in Planet Cosmo to Presley, but I have to tip my hat to Presley on that one. They were excellent in that. Um, but he's an excellent director. I'm very uh, honored to have him on this show. Uh, he asked me to introduce him as Joker, but I said, buddy, not today. Please welcome to the show Jack Campisi. Hello, Jack. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, that was, I think that was the most chaotic intro to this show. Maybe second to the episode I recorded with Sienna Kresge somewhat recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you're a big fan of the show, so I don't need to tell you this. Uh, but right. she was eating noodles while we were recording. <laughs> I would I would never dream of it. You, you, well, you would dream of it, but you never do it, right? Right. Okay. I did just have noodles, but I, I knew... Can't do that on the pod. Got to sure. do that before. Someone needed to tell Sienna that because she was eating fucking noodles the entire goddamn time. 
What a waste of your time, my time, every <laughs> listener's time. That's true. That's fucking true. Honestly, amen. Sienna Kresge, if you find your way onto this episode, you're you're done, bitch. You're done. Okay? Leave town. Le- you get out. Get the fuck out. Uh, but Jack, you and I had a little bit of uh, you and I had a little bit of an escapade today. Uh, this recording was kind of in limbo a little bit. Do you want to talk the folks at home through sort of your 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 endeavors to get this to happen? Yeah, sure, sure. Well, I want to start off by uh, giving a shout out to Spectrum. You guys have great connection, great service. Um, our Wi-Fi is always going in and out, and it's never reliable. <laughs> and all day today, we haven't had Wi-Fi in my house. And the only way to connect to the internet is through a hard line through an Ethernet cable. And uh, one of them is taped up around my living room. Uh, my roommate, Jacob Shivers, uses it to game and stuff like that. So that one was kind of out of the question. I don't have an Ethernet cable, so I couldn't find a way onto the internet today. Um, but my other roommate, Noah Davenport, has one, and he let me borrow this. So I'm running the internet old school on a cable from the living room yeah. uh, directly into my computer. Well, yeah. Well, shout out. First of all, shout out to Noah Davenport, uh, former guest and friend of this show. You can listen to his Spider-Man episode, which was recorded actually pretty recently. So it's a pretty recent episode. So first of all, shout out to him. But then we also have to shout out... <clears throat> Jacob Shivers as well, because why, Jack? Because Jacob let me borrow their sick gaming headphone uh, (laughs) microphone setup so we can get that crisp, clean audio for Noah's pod. (laughs) There's just a really good chance that when you say crisp, clean, I'm just going to make it sound like dog shit. Crisp, clean audio. I'm just going to throw distortion all over that. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. for a a little bit of dog shit uh, sound. For a little bit of a dog shit situation. It happens. You know, this is the world we live in. You got to you gotta adapt. <laughs> got to adapt. You got to be safe <laughs> if you're not being safe. I don't know what to tell you these days. If you're not being safe, you're not paying attention. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, thank you for being here, Jack. Thank you for uh, having me. Hey, hey, listen. Thank you for thank you for being here. No, no, no. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, seriously. Thank you for being here, and I'm going to put it a stop right there at that bit because that bit could go on forever if we let You're it. such a joker. You're such a joker. Speaking of joker, um, yeah. what have you been up to, buddy? Have you been spending these uh, these weird purgatory times that we're living in where we're not really like done with coronavirus, but the earth is kind of – the U.S. is kind of back? U.S. is done open? with it. They're, they're back to normal. Yeah. Um, I've just been trying to stay in still um watching a lot of movies i have like a part-time editing gig i'm trying to get some music video shoots off the ground those are kind of uh crashing and burning but you know part of the process (laughs) yeah um that's about it just passing the time trying to get through this year not not like next year is going to be any better necessarily but uh (laughs) it's not like oh 2020 is over uh everything will be great the following year that's what everyone was saying with like 2016. It was like, oh, 2016, like this is so bad. It just needs to be over already. I was like, what do you think things are going to get better in 2017? Just because the, the just because the calendar page flips behind yeah. itself. <laughs> well, at least with 2016, it was like all the things that happened in 2016 felt like when we get to 2017, those problems will be over at least in like theory. You know what I mean? Right. Because now we're in 2017, like there will just be a new batch of problems. But with this specifically, it's like, no, we're still going to have the same 
problem every single day in our faces, you know? Yeah. So it's fucking crazy. If you, it's, if, it's, if you ask me, it's crazy. Don't get me started. <laughs> I, I don't want to. I, don't, I legitimately don't want you to get started. Well, <laughs> thank you, Jack. Of course. For being here. I got Thank a little bit can. of a note. Please shut the fuck up. Don't use. Don't do that joke. Don't do that. Don't do that joke. I know what you're doing. I know what you're thinking. Uh, I got a little bit of a Noe's question for you. Uh, okay. This one's gonna blow your goddamn mind. It's Noe's question. You ready? Can I say that. Yeah, you could say that. Okay. Say it. Say it again. Fuck. Yes, I love. Wasn't that. sure. Was uh this was just a kids show or what was going on? Well, we are not a kids show, but we are climbing the charts rapidly on the kids charts. So oh okay okay well kids then love, I'll try to keep, I'll keep it to a minimum. Kids love interview shows with cursing. That's what everybody mm-hmm. knows. That's why Charlie Rose was so popular back in the day. Right right right. All right, lay uh, lay the noise question on me. All right, laying the noise question on you. We're talking about a band today. The band has a very striking name. If you're listening to the pod, you probably know what the band is, but I'm not going to say it quite yet. So I have to ask you, Jack, don't let the folks down. What are your favorite Little League or overall baseball memories? Oh, sweet Jesus. Um, Well, first of all, did you play Little League or baseball at all when you were a kid? I did. I did. Okay. Um, It wasn't the highlight of of anything. I wasn't very good. Um, I, I, I played outfield a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's where they put the kids that can't field. <laughs> yeah, I was on the I was on the bench a lot. Yeah. Um, I've never really had a favorite team. I Damn. wasn't very good at playing it, and so I gave up fairly quickly and stuck to soccer for a while. But um, I'm sorry, that's not a very exciting answer. But <laughs> I okay. don't follow sports, and I think baseball is abysmally boring to watch. Wow. Okay. That's just me, though. I know other people like to watch baseball but i just hate watching baseball strong words abysmally boring well you're from the homeland aka ohio originally right correct and there's a lot of sports not just in cleveland specifically but in the state of ohio itself where you're from columbus i have to imagine Mm -hmm. ohio state football is a pretty big deal yeah i grew up 10 minutes from ohio state i mean when there was a game going on whether it was away or home it was like it was like an apocalypse outside in the sense of like no one was around. Everyone was either at the game or inside. Sure. I, there, I just feel like it was it was central for that kind of stuff. And yeah, I had gone to some games when I was a kid and it was fun, but it got really old really quick. Um, when I got into like my teen years, I was like, this is so stupid. Just being <laughs> angsty about. You said that out loud. You said whatever. this is so stupid out loud. Yes. Damn, bro. Yes. Come on. I know. Sorry, well, sorry, OSU. Sorry if we got any, we got any uh, OSU listeners. Hey, listen, if you're listening, hey, if you're from OSU, baby, uh, reach out. I will give you Jack's social media so you can add him. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> For shitting on let's Ohio collab. State. Let's let's collab, baby. Let's shit on Ohio State together, baby. Um, well, as you know, I am also originally from Ohio. Um, mm-hmm. but originally I was, I was born in Cleveland. I don't really remember my time in Ohio as much Cleveland, big sports town, uh, a history of losing though, not necessarily the most prosperous sports town. I think nope. after the Cubs won the world series in 2016, after they broke their streak, I want to say 
Cleveland, the Cleveland Indians are like next in line for the longest World Series drought. I don't think they've won the World Series since 1948, uh, which is a really, really long time. And then I don't think the city had won a championship until 2016. Uh, when the when the Cavs won, when LeBron James, the the uh, mm-hmm. the prodigal son, as it were, brought a championship back. Did you care about that at all? Were you like, yes, my home state, finally getting getting a little bit of mm, W's in the no, win column? No, no. I, I mean, OSU, there was always uh, chaos surrounding them winning national championships. Um, but, I mean, I, I had only been to Cleveland, I think, once or twice in my entire life up until now. So, Cleveland, I've never been that close with or connected to as a city i'm a, you know getting a little bit more acquainted with cincinnati as my mom and sister live there now sure but cleveland's kind of like a, another realm to me because i'm more central and they're more north well yeah so it's cleveland up north columbus is like smack dab in the middle of the state and then cincinnati's like basically in kentucky for the most part yeah it's it's right on the border on the uh on the river yeah and uh talk about a stinker of a sports town holy shit dude yeah cincinnati <sighs> more like cincinnati Oh! <laughs> Edit some of those in real quick. Okay, real quick. Some horns, real quick. I'm going to add some real ones in too. Right, I, I love getting homework from my guests about what to do with the show. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to tell you how to do your show. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Um, but yes, okay, so no real baseball like memories, no real Little League memories. Like Any like... I guess, lack of a better term, trauma associated with playing? Like, was it one of those things where you're like, I don't want to be doing this, and yet my parents are making me play a sport? Like, what was the attitude, I guess, surrounding Little League? Or was it just kind of a thing to do? It was kind of a thing to do. It did get to a point where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore because I'm not good, and my parents just keep making me do it. But that was kind of, I guess, a lot of sports. I mean, it, it was fun to do it, and I had, like, a few friends on teams. I haven't thought about playing Little League and god i don't even know how long so i feel like if, if, I, if I had more time to prep on this maybe i would have a an <laughs> yeah. answer for it but <laughs> this is my fault <laughs> once again my fault nope we're good i'm at you know what jack where could the folks find you i think this podcast is done baby no we're not done we it's have over before a, it even started we have a lot to talk about so why don't you just why don't you just get why don't you shape why don't you shape up asshole i'm working on it okay good well, I won't, I won't labor on that <laughs> too much, buddy, because we do have a lot to talk about. I'll just say yeah. very quickly, uh, I played almost every like major sport growing up. I did not play hockey, and I did not play soccer like organized. I played like soccer at you know school or whatever with folks. You play lacrosse? Nope, never played lacrosse. Well, I guess so. I guess I mainly played football, basketball, and baseball. Okay, yeah. so I guess those gotcha. were the main sports I played. Basketball was like my main sport. Uh, mm-hmm. I played that the longest, never played at like a super competitive level. Like I never played on like what was known as like, um, like a, a club team, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it was always like rec. I think it was called rec league where it was just like, these are just kids who want to play, but don't <clears throat> want to like, it's not their thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mostly played that. Uh, and that stopped after middle school where I realized you can't really play basketball and be in the school play at the same time. Uh, so I gave up basketball. I said, Arrivederci. And I was in the plays instead. 
So there you go. A little bit of a little nice. bit of a little bit of sports history. And I played baseball a little bit as well. They also threw me in the outfield. They well, what they really tried to do is they tried to get me to play catcher, but I just mm-hmm. hated wearing the gear so much. Because you gotta wear like a chest plate, a thing over your face, you gotta wear yeah. pads. I just hated that shit. A lot of it didn't really fit me either. And so I was just like, fuck this, like I don't really wanna do this. So they just stuck me out in like right field. And I never could tell me too. Which one was right field and left field? I never could. And it only recently occurred to me that it's when you're looking at the field from the dugout, that's okay. right and that's left. So left field is your left when you're looking out into the field and right yeah, field. Yeah, okay. Right I actually never knew that either. So I think, I think yeah, when I'm going out on the field, they just tell me which way to go. and They <laughs> just say, go fucking me. stand out there. Yeah, <laughs> go yeah. stand out there. If a ball comes, try to pick it up. Yeah, and put your fucking dick away is what they're probably also saying. Right, right. Yeah, so very cool if the par- if your parents are listening to this. I'm sorry I said that. Yeah, but, yeah that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm going to tag your parents in actually a lot of the posts so that they see this. Cool. Okay, well, yeah, we're not talking about Little League. We're not talking about baseball as the whole. My chef, my friend, the chef. We're talking about modern baseball. We're talking about the band Modern Baseball today. And I said to you, you could pick anything you want. Jack, you can talk about literally anything. This is that's kind of the whole conceit of the show. Talk about something that's your favorite. So, as always, I ask my guests this question every time, usually the, for the first time. Why pick modern baseball? You could have picked anything, and so why? How did you land on modern baseball, and why? Um, there's been a re- real resurgence of modern baseball obsession in my life since lockdown, and I feel like I listened to them a lot in high school. And then it was kind of something that I left in high school when I went to college. I don't even know if I really listened to them much at all in college. I feel like if there was someone who was wearing a shirt, maybe I would have approached them or talked with them about it a little bit. But I don't really remember them having a presence or me listening to them much in um, in college. I listened to the um, the band's like subsect, like where two of the members went off their like new project that they did called Slaughter Beach Dog, but. Yeah, modern baseball was kind of like forgotten and I don't really know what happened, but around when lockdown started, I started listening to them obsessively and have been ever since. And it's kind of like my comfort music that I go to. It's been pretty much all year at this point. It's been pretty much going on since March. I think uh, it's interesting to talk to people about what their listening habits have been since then, because for me, I was like, oh, I'm going to be listening to all this new stuff or I want to check out some of these genres that I'm not too well acquainted with, but I just saw myself going back to a lot of high school music which is kind of weird and maybe something to think about and just like look into but at the same time it just feels like comfort food to me and it just reminds me of high school I suppose it's really interesting actually when I talked to Autumn Griffin last week uh she was saying something kind of similar because she talked about the 1975 and that was a band Mm -hmm. that she listened to a lot in high school and she I'm gonna butcher it so apologies Autumn if you're listening to this and you're like oh my god I can't believe he's saying my name right now (laughs) but uh she said something to the effect of like in reality we thought you know this would give us a lot of time this whole lockdown stuff this it would give us a lot of time to watch things listen to things read things that we had been putting off but more often than not some people are doing variations of that and I think all everyone is to a certain extent just because how much life has changed but she was like what we're really doing is we're just doing the things that we like to do when we were 14 and 15 years old you know yep. and I thought that was really interesting and I had never really thought about it that way but I think she's completely right uh I've been fucking playing more video games than I have probably yeah, in, in like the last 
like five, seven years. It's crazy. And I remember yeah. that was like one of my favorite things to do in high school because you just had the time, you know. And I'm play. playing I'm playing all those three D Mario games. It's like even the specific yes. games that I played at that time. It's all it's all coming back. It's it feels very surreal almost to be at this age and doing all these things that, you know, I, I hold such like high just in high regard of and just such fond memories of my past. Totally. Are you so? Are you playing then the 3D Mario All Stars? Then, yeah. Yeah. I got it too. I am uh, screaming uh, at the TV yeah. because I don't. I, were you? Have you played Sunshine at all? No, I'm. I'm trying to get through 64 right now because I never beat it when I had it on the DS as a kid. Okay. I've got about 65 stars so oh, far. Shit. Um, so you're like a little over halfway through then. Yeah, I'm making my way through it, but it's hard. The camera sucks in that game. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. not it's not easy um and i i think when i started playing it like the difficulty curve is so apparent because i was like breezing through i probably got 15 to 20 stars in the, my first day of playing i was like this is piece of cake and then yeah. i got to a point where it was like oh this is not easy like i understand why i gave up on this as a kid and never yeah. came back to it well a hundred percent uh my my like mario that i like obsessed over was sunshine. That was like one of the first mm-hmm. games that I ever had because it was on the GameCube. GameCube was my first console, you know, all, same shit. And yeah. I just, I don't know if it, if it's actually worse than I remember it as far as like, not the game itself, but like I am screaming at the TV because I can't control him the same way yeah. that I remember being able to control him. And it's the same way I dabbled a little bit inside of 64 as well. And I'm just losing my goddamn mind because the camera in both games sucks. The controls are terrible. And yet I'm like, why is this the only thing I want to be doing right <laughs> now? Because it's driving me insane. Yeah, to relive the thrill of trying to wrangle that effing camera. And but yeah, all those games is just hard. And at the time it was probably revolutionary, but you look at it now and you're like, this is horrible. Dude, it's crazy. Like literally I invested in uh, PS Now because they dropped uh. their prices. It used to be, I think it literally used to be like 20 bucks a month for PS Now, like mm. a, maybe like a year or two ago. And they recently dropped it so that it was only 60 bucks for an entire year uh, for PS Now. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, I'm probably gonna, we're probably going to be inside, you know, continuing to be inside for the foreseeable future. So yeah, I'll do it. And there's just so, games are so fucking cool. <laughs> They're just like, <laughs> they get better and better. Like, with time. It's, like, one of the only art forms that, like, sequels are better than the original because the technology just improves in a lot of cases. Not all the time, obviously. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, that's what I have to say. (laughs) That's what I have to say about that. Um, Okay. So, you're listening to them a lot in high school. Do you Mm -hmm. remember the first time that you laid your ears upon modern baseball uh, and even if you don't remember specifically the first time, talk me through like what modern baseball evokes in you as far as feelings. Like, what do you feel when you listen to modern baseball? I feel very angsty. I feel like emotional and connected and kind of see myself in a lot of the lyricism. And I think it just came around at a, the perfect time when I was 14, 15, 16, and that's what they're writing about specifically on sports. And I think all of them, honestly, but yeah, I was just seeing myself in a lot of that music and it was a lot of what my friends were listening to. I don't remember exactly modern baseball, but a band in the same realm of 
emo pop punk that kind of thing is the front bottoms sure and i remember being in my friend brian's basement it was like a it was a halloween dress-up party and everyone was there and the party was kind of coming to a lull and some kid turned on au revoir by the front bottoms and immediately everyone stopped what they were doing and like turned to each other and started singing along and i'd never heard this band or this song before so right. i just was kind of like sitting back and taking this all in and everyone is just screaming those lyrics it's so sing-songy and it's so easy to pick up on and it's i felt like i was at a concert and it was just one of the coolest experiences ever because all these people just immediately like, dropped what they were doing to sing this song together and just freak out and mosh in someone's Damn. basement um and then I think, so just the sense of belonging of listening to that music and being able to sing along to it with those, that group of people that I was really close with in high school. That's what kind of got me into this kind of music and sure. front bottoms, turnover, tiger's jaw, sorority noise, American football, which was, which were kind of like the guys who started this stuff in 1999. It, there was some people before them, but that's kind of like where this Midwest emo, as people like to call it, sure. like where that kind of branched out and, and really got big from it. It's like, you can see all of that in American football. You see the front bottoms in modern baseball, like what they're pulling from and what they're trying to sound like and their influences. So it's cool to look back and kind of see the history and the progression. Um, but front bottoms um, was kind of like the one that I was really obsessed with. And then modern baseball came out of that. My friend Elise Schaefer, showed me them and i'm pretty sure it, it had to have been around um when you're gonna miss it all their second album came out which was 2014 because i remember that album and sports were out at that time so i was like listening to both of those at the same time and uh they're just both incredible albums yeah well, we're gonna get into death. we're gonna get into each of the albums specifically uh here in a little bit but it's interesting that you first heard I guess the taste of this kind of music in such a communal setting, because it wasn't necessarily a concert, but it kind of acted as the same way. Like everybody knew the music, everybody was singing along and here you are sort of discovering this sound, discovering this mm -hmm. idea, discovering this feeling, I guess, for lack of a better term in a very unexpected way. It's gotta be kind of mind blowing to see like everybody else already has like an association with this everybody else already has like an idea of like how they feel about this was it almost like too overwhelming like to a certain extent like everybody else is like seeing like hearing this again and you're hearing it for the first time and you're having a profound reaction to it like talk to me a little bit more about like that moment of discovery of the of these guys it was surprising but the song i think it's only like a minute and a half it's not like i was i was getting bored just kind of sitting there like waiting for it to be over i was just kind of taken aback listening seeing all my friends screaming these lyrics and wanting to be a part of it but i'm like it's i i don't know maybe i maybe by the end i was able to pick up on something it's repetitive and it's like easy enough to pick up on and you scream au revoir and adios for half of it so it's like i probably was able to pick up on something but it was really it was really kind of just like overwhelming, but in the best of ways, not in like a, a negative or bad way, but it was, it was such a cool thing because it was kind of towards the end of the night and everything was kind of dying down and this kind of just like reignited the sure. energy in the room. Do you remember what you dressed up as for the Halloween dress up party that year? <sighs> I want to say I was Marty McFly. Yes. Okay. Classic, classic guy. Gotta go costume with the safety. For that age. Gotta yeah. go with the safety. Yeah. 
That's so epic. I love that. That's awesome. Did you have like a hoverboard type thing or was it, were you just wearing the fucking jacket and telling everyone you were Marty McFly? I had the jacket. I had the jeans. I had all the layers. I did a lot of research into that. He's wearing like a, a white button up underneath and then he has like a jean jacket on top of that and then he has the puffy vest on top of that wow so it's good for you know the fall in ohio it's like i wasn't cold necessarily but uh sure that's and that's another thing that you've said is like it's very much a midwest emo type situation it doesn't necessarily sound like my chemical romance and it doesn't necessarily sound like blink 182 it's got yeah yeah certain like place associated with it talk about that was that at all influential or was that at all special to you because you're like wow this really sounds like where i'm from yeah it, it definitely does and i think what i've looked back on and uh with modern baseball since then is just the tone of voice that brendan and jake sing in is not traditionally emo it's more so kind of like a folk rock thing and so i don't think it can be categorized it can be categorized as emo still because of the lyricism and the like instrumentation, but their vocals don't have that kind of like nasally whiny sound to it that I think sure. a lot of other bands do. Um, front bottoms do to a certain extent, but I think a lot of the bands kind of like fall into that. So modern baseball felt new and it felt fresh to me. And what they were talking about, I I, I never really like heard in songs before. And, and yeah, I, I think it did stem from, a bit. I mean, they're technically, I think, Maryland and Philly, and and there are some bands like Turnover who I think are from Virginia and stuff like that. So it's all close and close enough that Ohio music scene's kind of weird, and there was never like a um, Columbus band. Well, actually, that's a lie. There's two. Walk the Moon and um, Twenty One yeah. Pilots were really big, yeah. but that, that was kind of different. They're more. A lot of my friends were really into Twenty One Pilots. I never really got the. I never really got it and I, 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 I liked some of their songs and I kind of got what they were going for, but I never really jumped on the bandwagon there sure. and they, they blew up real quick and, and they were kind of the hometown heroes walk the moon. I, I did like when they were like kind of coming up and, but they're kind of more, you know, alternative pop E, but um, I yeah, gotta, like I got it. I got us. I got to just jump in real, real quick here. I'm sorry to, to absolutely destroy you uh, <laughs> with this. But it's crazy that you said 21 Pilots. I have not thought about 21 Pilots in maybe, like, years, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah. The, the first 21 Pilots song I ever heard, have you ever heard the song Holding On To You by 21 Pilots? Was it off their first album? It was off Vessel. Uh, I'm looking at their, uh, I'm looking at their right now. No, I guess technically their first album was called 21 Pilots in 2009. So technically it was their oh, okay. sophomore debut but i just remember hearing that song and being like this band is gonna fucking rock and then seeing what they and i mean they into. did they they blew up so fast and it was crazy to come from the same town that they were from because they were the hometown heroes and it was like a big deal they should they would sell out the schottenstein center which is the like where the osu um basketball team plays it's like oh, a, wow. like one like this huge indoor stadium and so I remember, I think it was around the time that I was a senior in high school, they came back and they did a tour that was every venue in Columbus. So they played like oh, the wow. smallest one called The Basement and they played all the ones leading up to like the big Schottenstein thing. And I remember like going around to record stores with my friends and we were, we, we would do that all the time. And so we, we were talking with these guys and that owned the stores and they were like, 
there's people from all over the country here. Like everyone has come from everywhere just to see these shows because they were so small and intimate, sure. you know, venues. And it's like, when are you going to see 21 Pilots in a venue like this ever again? Sure. And yeah, I guess kind of since then, I don't know. haven't really heard about them since. I know they have put out new music, but I don't think I've heard it. There, I mean, I think what, at least for me, what sort of like showed me kind of where the trajectory they were heading because they put out Vessel in 2013. I was... I remember I think I was going into my junior year of high school at the time when I heard Holding On To You. I remember literally being at the gym listening to it. It like came on on like a like a Pandora station or whatever because I, mm-hmm. I wasn't on that Spotify tip yet, so to speak. Um, but I remember in 2015, they released Blurry Face, which had uh, Stressed Out on it. And yeah. I'm like, bro, this does not sound like old 21 Pilots. This sounds so poppy. I miss and the so old weird. guys. <laughs> I miss them old 21 Pilots, <laughs> the sad 21 Pilots, the non-blurry-faced 21 Pilots. It, but it was different. It really was. And I yeah. forgot that they're Columbus born and bred. And then I had a friend who went to Kenyon College in Ohio, and she would tell me that she was like, yeah, literally walked the moon, came – out of Kenyon, and I think Anna Sun, the big song by them, is a professor or was a professor at Kenyon, <laughs> and that's you know obviously their big hit. So you guys got yeah. a couple, you guys got a couple bands. Don't sell yourself short. Yeah, well, I I remember, um, I remember the band director at my high school talking about the drummer being in the marching band, and like because like I think two of the guys went to my high school, and for, the other uh, ones are Walk from the Moon. for Walk the Moon, and then the other ones from I think Cincinnati or something like that. But I, I, I remember seeing them at some shows, like openers, and then slowly kind of seeing the rise, and they just totally blew up with uh, Shut Up and Dance With Me. Yeah. I think that was the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we do have the bands, but uh, it wasn't – it's not, you know, the good Midwest emo, sure. you know, like listening by myself kind of kind of stuff. Being sad, crying into the snow, watching where the drops yep. fall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's, and we'll talk about it when we talk about their music videos, but I think one of their music videos that we're going to talk about really gives across that sense of place and really gives across that sense of like, this is the feeling I get when I listen to that music. So it's, and it's, it's an amazing how just being from a certain place can do that to your music. Like literally yeah. had these guys come from Texas they'd probably sound a whole hell of a lot different than the being from the mid-Atlantic, you know, Maryland area and forming with their band in Philly. So very, mm-hmm. uh, it's all just, it's all just, life is crazy, you know? Life it is, really is. <laughs> but that's life, you know, as they say in Joker. <laughs> that's life. I, uh, I haven't seen that one. I'll have to check that out soon. No, yeah, you've, uh, okay, no worries. You've got, you've bested me again. Speaking okay. of their uh, music videos, though, what is it that on a whole, we'll talk about them specifically here when we get into them, but on the whole, what is it that you like about their music videos? What do you think makes them so different and special? Well, I think that's another reason that I got back into them recently. Um, one of my favorite music video directors has did all of his, uh, all of their work. Uh, his name's Kyle Thrash. Right. And I believe he met them through college around the time that they were starting and getting big and then did all their music videos, did that short doc about them. And, so, and he's done tons of other bands um i think he just did a documentary about uh, it wasn't just recently but when philly won the super bowl i think he did a, a little like doc about that and the people of philly and what gotcha. that meant to them i'm excited to check that out but i love his work because it kind of comes up as documentary in style and it um 
like I, I can't imagine just how much he shoots. And I read an interview with him recently where he's like, I always feel like I'm out of my comfort zone and want, I want to impress the band and make sure that I'm giving the band what they want. So I just shoot everything and I try to get as much variety as I can. And they have to like, stop me. They're like, you're done. Like we're done filming, but he's always, you know, has that in the back of his head. Like it's not good enough. And like the self doubt, I think everyone feels that always, but that's, I think a big modern baseball theme through line. Absolutely. Um, but in terms of their music videos, yeah, I've been going back to them a lot because of just watching a lot of Kyle Thrash's work and some of the early, they all, at least the, my two favorites involve just a party environment and everyone singing along to the lyrics. And I think it reminds me of that first time I heard the front bottoms. It's everyone screaming at the top of their lungs, to the lyrics, and it feels like such a community and it looks like everyone's just having the best of times. And so some of their videos are a little more like narrative based, but um, yeah, I think like the two that I look at the most, which is the the weekend music video and your graduation, both have that kind of collective moshing chaos, but it's not like dangerous. It's, it's very communal. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, this is not a toxic environment. This is very much an environment of like, we want you to join in. We want you to be a part of this thing. We want you to experience us in this most singular way possible. So, right. And I, and I, I think he captures that, you know, we'll obviously we'll talk about it more specifically when we get into it, but like, you know, they're, they're very, they're very unique. And not unique in a way where it's like I've never seen anything like that, but it's very you very much feel the band through these videos, which like I think that's pretty much all you can. A lot, ask a lot of their character, video. a lot of their character comes out through that, and I think um, it really does encapsulate the band and what they're about. Well, speaking of what the band is about, what do you think makes modern baseball on the whole unique and different from other not only Midwest emo bands but just bands in general? What do you think makes them unique and special? I kind of mentioned the um, the way that they sing. I, I don't know if that, that really sets them apart too much, but I think more so what they're singing about and the differentiation between Brendan and Jake about like how they write. One's kind of more subtle about things and one's kind of more upfront about, you know, their lyricism and, and everything about that. Um, I just think the lyricism is part of that and the, the sing-along nature of things. And like, I can just always sing along to these songs and, and that's what sets them apart and why I think those videos hold special, such a special place in my heart. Cause it's like, it's such a great extension of them. At, sometimes I could say, you could maybe say that like, what they're doing is cheesy and specifically the lyricism and what they're singing about. But I think at the end of the day, they're, they're talking about things that a lot of people don't talk about. And it's like a lot of unspoken stuff. And there are a lot of, especially in their second album they're very like brutally honest and they're not um trying to hide behind things they're like really self-critiquing themselves and admitting their own faults about relationships and friendships and and everything you're uh, you're totally right on and you actually gave me a great segue because uh have you ever read the pitchfork article by dan caffrey about the like evolution of for lack of a better term misogyny in pop punk and emo no but you should send it to me great article by, by dan caffrey written for pitchfork in may of 2016 um there's a quote from uh there's a quote from that article i believe by jake ewald and it goes you have really distinct moments when you start to realize how many people you're affecting every night and how they process what you're saying to them yep ewald says my mom and dad would always remind me 
uh, reminded me of that when we were first playing. And I was like, haha, nobody's listening to my dumb band. But then we'd get halfway through a tour and I'd be like, oh, wow, this is actually kind of real. It's a matter of realizing how many people are listening to you and subsequently saying things that are more valuable. And that's in reference to not only realizing how big of an act that they had become in such a short amount of time, but realizing, oh, people are actually taking to heart what we're saying and being more conscious of what we're talking about. And one thing that they point out in the article that I think is super interesting, and I think is sort of what you were saying that does differentiate them, especially from older, quote unquote, pop punk emo acts of like the late 90s and early 2000s, is that there's no cruelty to what they're saying in their songs. It's very self reflexive. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the time very, I don't know exactly what the right word is, but they're being very vulnerable about their own shortcomings within their music. And uh, that's a lot harder to do uh, than it is to basically be like that person's a dumb bitch or that guy's a cocksucker, you know? Right. So they, they get into that kind of thing, but you're right. It's never really with malice. It's just kind of presenting it as it is. And it's interesting to track their progression because I think their first album is very, I mean, they they wrote it and they self-produced it when they were in college, which is crazy to think about because um, I think it's really well produced and it's crazy that they were able to pull that off in college. Um, and then they're, I, I don't know, I don't want to get ahead of myself and talking about all of them as a whole. Like, I, I guess we could come back to this once we've talked about all of them sure. and the progression of albums. I don't know how you want to do this well buddy why don't you why don't you just get on the train and i'll take you to the promised land okay yeah okay. thank you chef i guess for i mean just just to put a just to put a bow on talking about the lyricism and everything how for someone who's never heard modern baseball before in their entire life in this podcast for some godforsaken reason is their intro to modern baseball how would you describe the lyricism of modern baseball witty um the one that always stuck with stuck out stuck to me was like, it's from the old gospel choir, sharp as a tack, but in the sense that you're not smart, just a prick. That <laughs> yeah. that that was one of my friends' uh, Instagram bios for the longest time, and that's just always stuck with me. I think it's it's witty and like you said, it's self reflexive, and it it kind of deserves a second listen. It's not surface level. Both Jake and um, Brendan have different ways of writing, but I think they both kind of accomplish the same thing. And it, it never really feels like too different that you're listening to two different songwriters or anything like that. Yeah. They very much feel like, like a good match. Like they complement mm-hmm. each other very well. Yeah, like they feel yeah. like a good duo. And then obviously uh, Ian farmer and what's the other mother, Sean Huber. Sean Huber. Yes. The drummer, Sean Huber, they're there, you know, they're doing stuff. And I have a little fast fact actually that kind of talks. Well, actually we're not going to get to that until we actually get into the album specifically. Ha ha. Okay. Everyone. But since you're talking about everything, one, I just want to bring up, I think another thing that sets them apart. It might not come off through the music, but watching any kind of interview with them or they're just the best of friends. And they're people that you would want to surround yourself with. And I'm sure that might've, you know, been maybe part of the reason that they broke up towards the end. But I, I think they were just the best of friends and they all were there for the same reason. And I, and yeah, it's they They just seem like the, the best people. They still are. Well, that is kind of all you can hope for, I think in a yeah. certain way. Uh, and that, and they only really 
were around in the public eye for a very brief period of time. They only mm-hmm. had albums come come out within a four year window. They had little tiny things come out uh, in 2017 as well, but never a full length release. And that is something I want to think about as we're talking about the albums and talking about them uh, individually. But Chef, am I good to give you some fast facts? And then you actually, you know what? You said you had some fast facts for me as well, right? Just in general, I, I mean, I feel like I'll have fast facts when we're talking about each album. I don't okay. know if I have general ones. Um, I have some fast facts about them generally. Um, Do you? Yeah, give me those. Uh, d- is one of your... F- okay, wait. <laughs> Just well, give, why me, don't you- g- give me whatever... Fa- you can give me individual fast facts when we actually talk about each album, if you have fast facts about the albums specifically. I got a fast fact about how they met Brendan and Jake. Please. Um, the two leads. Um, so basically from what I understand, Brendan was like a sports guy and he really liked this girl who happened to be Jake's sister and Jake and his sister played in a Paramore cover band. I'm pretty sure. Nice. So, so Brendan, (laughs) Brendan was going to a backyard show to see them play and stepped in dog shit. And (laughs) somehow the girl was around and saw this and they were kind of talking and she said, Oh well, I'll go, let me go talk to my brother. He has he always has an extra pair of shoes in his car, and so Jake shows up and has the extra pair of shoes and gives them to Brendan. That's how they meet. Um, what if he hadn't wow. stepped in dog shit? I don't literally, know. It's one of those what ifs. <laughs> literally, sometimes all it takes is actually stepping in dog shit in order to meet your uh, future collaborator for the next however many years. That's amazing. I did yeah. not know that. That's awesome. Uh, any more fast facts about them as a whole, or can I give you mine now? The other one I have is that their band name comes from a book that they found at someone's house called Modern Baseball Techniques. That was one of mine as well, Chef. You uh-huh. took the words right out of my mouth. Um, also, my dad just texted me, uh, CNN correspondent ambushed by raccoon during live report and then sent me the CNN link. So shout out Matt Marger, as always, coming in clutch. That's funny. I thought, I thought you turned your phone off, so this wouldn't be a yeah. problem. Yeah, it's actually a computer notification, so no worries on oh, your end. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I probably should. I actually do have Do Not Disturb on, which is crazy. That my, that message must have been <laughs> so powerful that it broke through. It came the do through. Not Damn. All right. A little well, bit of a tangent. This is all I have to say about it, but... Um, we actually pulled, not me personally, but someone who was helping out um, at our house, they pulled a dead raccoon out from underneath our house earlier today. That is fucked. <laughs> was it, was, could you smell it and that's why it had to go? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it had been a problem for about a week now. Damn. It was getting Damn. worse and worse. I'm going to give you some fast facts about water. All right, lay them on me. Lay them on me. Uh, like you said, their name was inspired by a book that Lukens and Ewald, Brandon Lukens, and Jake Ewald found entitled Modern Baseball Techniques. And according to my research, it was owned by Ewald's father on the evening that they decided to form the band. So they saw no. the the book. They were like, we're going to be a it. band. And that's the name, Modern Baseball Techniques. It's a very striking name. You know, it's just two words that you never think would be together. And yet that's their name, Modern Baseball. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think a lot of bands in this subgenre have sports names there's american football there's modern baseball i think there's some other bands called like slow pitch or i don't know like like, there's different iterations of sports not only in band names but also albums and there's a lot of songs on 
the first album sports that are, are all kind of like referencing this stuff which i just think is so interesting because i feel i feel like when you think about it oh music and sports is the complete opposite but i think once you think about the collective nature of things it's like there are sports people there are, um they're like commentators and there's like interviewing people and and, and you're all there's people who gather to watch something, a sport, and there's right. people who gather at a concert to watch something. It's it's very communal, and so maybe that's where some of that stems from. And you have, I mean, there are team sports, and bands are a team, you know, yeah. also more or less. And instead of running plays, you're writing songs and you're making beats, you know. It's all yeah. the same shit. I mean, it's 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 all a team sport at the end of the day, regardless if you're playing football or making music, I guess. Yeah. So you know hit you with some fucking think just think about that jack okay yeah give uh, us more facts okay great brendan lukens and jake ewald were high school friends from brunswick maryland uh i've never spent any time in maryland myself would like to visit baltimore one day see what it's all about you ever spent any time in maryland baltimore at all i was there for a family event when i was younger don't really remember it too well sorry Perfect. Okay. Uh, <laughs> they began uh, as an acoustic duo before relocating to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to attend college. I believe uh, one of them went to Drexel University and then yeah. one of them went to like some like chess. I think it was called like Chestnut Hill. It was. Yeah, it was like a city college, I think. So they weren't exactly all going to the same place, but they were in the same area. And that's where they met bassist Ian Farmer and drummer Sean Huber. Uh, and they actually are a relatively collaborative little group, you know, as well. You know, it's not just like Brendan and Jake are like the guys running the show. Like they're not, they have like a nice sense of like, like you said, camaraderie to them. It feels like a unit, you know? Yeah. Um, and then let's see, what do we got here next? The group played no shows in the spring of 2017, during which time Ewald and farmer that's Ian farmer, the bassist worked on producing uh, Ewald's project Slaughter Beach Dog, like you said, uh, and Lukens and Huber worked on solo material. When interviewed in June of 2017, Ewald remarked, quote, let's not call it a breakup and make a huge deal about it and have a last show ever or anything like that. Let's just take it easy for now, and if we wake up and want to do it again, then let's do it. That was his official quote. Uh, and like we had mentioned previously, they were a very short-lived project as far as their time where they were actually releasing music and i want that i think we that's something we should definitely think about and take into consideration when we're looking at each album but uh yeah for anyone who's not as familiar with modern baseball they're no longer a band they came in pretty much as fast or they excuse me they left pretty much as fast as they came in um before we get into the album specifically do you think that has any like impact on how you view them as a project jack or their music specifically or each album yeah, I think each album is a lot more contained and special for different reasons to me. And it feels like a trilogy and it felt like it could have been continued. But the fact that it isn't, I'll say for now, is, yeah, I think it holds like more of a special place because I almost view each album, each EP as more special and precious because I'm like, this could be it. This could be the last modern baseball stuff that's ever released. And it's not, they're not going to come back to this. Um like you mentioned, Slaughter Beach Dog has gone off and released, I think, three albums at this point. And they're both really good. And it, it feels like a interesting like direction to take things and kind of the next step for uh, Jake and Ian are in that band. But it's it just doesn't have the same heart, I think. It's, it's still very good. But I think Brendan and Sean and the collectiveness of 
the four of them as a group is what makes modern baseball. So it's it's different and it's not the same. And yeah, I think just the fact that there's only three albums almost is more special. And maybe that's more of a reason why I'm like going back to it. It's not so overarching that it's overwhelming and oh my God, there's so much stuff to listen to. It's like very contained and only three albums and a few EPs worth. Absolutely. Modern Baseball played a one-off show with Daniel Johnston as part of his final U.S. tour, but in October of 2017, Ewall confirmed that the band had no plans to play any more shows for the indefinite future. But if that was like their final get-together, man, I mean, playing with a outsider art legend who was able to cross over into the mainstream, more or less, Daniel Johnston, I mean, what a way to go out. Were you ever able to see Modern Baseball live? No, I was going to get into that. Um, talk to me about that when we talk about Holy Ghost. Great. I will save okay. that for that. But you mentioned it. Now it's time to actually get into the albums themselves. Specifically, we're going to go chronological order here, folks. So if you're listening along at home, start with sports, which came out in 2012. Jack, what is it about sports that you like so much? What makes sports stand out to you? Um. It's really rough around the edges, but not necessarily in a bad way. I think, like I mentioned, they self-recorded it at Drexel or whatever school they were at. Um, and I don't, I don't even think Sean was on the album at that, or I don't even think he was part of the band at that point. I'm pretty sure Jake did all of the drumming on that album, and I think Sean came in when they were going off to tour. and that, So that's kind of how he got involved. But it's it's really rough around the edges. A lot of it is just about the age that I was at the time listening to it. Like there's a whole song where he talks about being 15. Um, right. And they, they, they wrote it in college. So that, like they didn't have college to reflect back on. They're looking back to high school and writing about high school problems and girls and like loneliness and friends and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I, I feel like sometimes that album sounds like they're talking and not even really singing sure. with some of the lyricism, especially some of the opening songs. The one thing about this album that I really vividly remember is it was the first time I had heard um, social media referenced in music. Oh, sure. Because they talk about there's the song that's literally just a girl's at on Twitter. It's Chloe on Twitter. They talk about iPhones and they talk about tech in a way that was just really interesting at the time. And I think when I was younger, I saw that as cheesy and I saw that as kind of cringy and I was like oh and I think I do this myself when writing or trying to conceptualize something it's like I want to stay away from those things right but I think in just being honest about that's the world that we live in I think that's like what a lot of modern baseball gets to it gets into a lot of this is the world we live in this is how people are communicating this is how people are flirting and trying to ask people out and talk to each other it's all through Twitter and oh now that now that you saw my tweets, you know that I'm home. Like the, it's kind of like a beacon in like a weird way. And people can read into sub tweets and it creates a lot more problems, but it's just, I guess what was going on at the time. And I, I thought it was cheesy, but looking back on it now, it just seems it's very like confessional and kind of like sure. holding a mirror up and, and maybe the listener doesn't want to, you know, 16 year old me doesn't want to like admit to that kind of stuff, but it's, it's what was going on when I was in high school. It's what's going on now. Absolutely. I mean, 
first of all, hence the term modern baseball. You know, we're looking at modern yeah. shit. You know, we're looking at the here and now. This was written in 2012. It's crazy to think just how much technology has changed since this album came out as well. Instagram is, you know, one of the biggest things in the entire world. Twitter's completely different. Facebook has pretty much gone through an entire life cycle. I don't know anyone who, like, actively really uses Facebook anymore who's under the age of 50 years old, pretty much, you know? Uh, right. So it's very interesting to see, even then, the way technology is being talked about, how different it is now eight years later. Uh, so that's a very interesting point. Yeah, they're looking at a time in their lives that they are very much fresh out of. You know, they are fresh out of high school. And to have the maturity and the wisdom and, I guess, the emotional intelligence to, like, look at that time for what it was for them not necessarily what it actually was but what it was for them and to be able to talk about their experience so vividly and so i would say extremely interestingly there's a couple songs in here that like specifically that i want to talk about as well but that's very i think impressive for a couple of guys who are anywhere from like 18 to 20 you know depending on exactly you know when this was recorded or whatever you know those those early 20s late teen years i guess i think it's mm -hmm. impressive they're writing about vulnerable moments and awkward scenarios with girls and not feeling like you fit in and to write that and record it and put it out and press it on vinyl like they stayed up all summer to press it on vinyl to do that it's physical it's like in the world it's it's like brave i'm like i would not have done that totally. at that age um the one that i remember and i think just like you talking about the maturity of reflecting back is from tears over beers and the line is she found herself bored to tears she realized that if she wanted conversation she's out of luck for three more years because he was talking i think she was talking or they were singing about i think kids who were like 15 or like uh sure the situation of being 15 and yeah it's true like when you're that age at least i i can say that i'm like i don't know what to say to this girl who's standing totally. right next to me and i'm gonna maybe say nothing and then she's going to walk away. And it's, it's that kind of thing where it's like, they can reflect back and see that in themselves. And maybe it's not like they're condoning it, but they're just kind of being like, this is how it was for me. It's gotta be the same for someone else. Yeah. The emotional honesty to be able to say, this is actually what I was experiencing, you know, and to be confident enough to be like, this was my experience. That's terrifying regardless of what age you are i think and to do that so young is all the more impressive and like we you know said if you know they came they came crashing into the world and they kind of came crashing out in some ways and uh it's just interesting to see how hard they crashed not even in, not in a bad sense but literally like the wave it just crashed so hard when it first came mm -hmm. out that people like immediately took notice of these guys like the they yeah you know they weren't being played on the radio per se or like most radio stations but like they had a following pretty instantaneously like the world they got notice. signed yeah yeah it's amazing like they just off this one seeing some early footage of these shows it's kind of similar to like the video on the weekend it's all these people in the philly uh music culture and in this scene that are obsessed with this band and they're all showing up and screaming the lyrics and it's in someone's basement with a bunch of christmas lights up it's it's not like this huge venue but they have this solid following and i guess it was enough to get the attention of some record people or, or some small little indie uh you know record label that picks them up and they go on tour with a few bands and then and then like you said it's like the the wave keeps going 
and it only grows. What are your favorite tracks from sports? The Weekend. Yep. And Redone. Why? 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 <laughs> uh, the Weekend is one of my favorites because of the accompanying music video, which sure. I've kind of talked about. It's a performance-based music video. Um, I think the director talked about how the budget was six hundred dollars, and they used that to rent the like original red camera. Oh, so that's damn. That, that was the entire budget. That's and there's some crazy great like that, that was the original red camera. That thing looks like dog shit now. Yeah, um, there's some flashing lights, and it's performance in a basement with all these people moshing and having a great time, and just intercut of a bunch of B-roll of like people hanging out at this party and drinking and tattooing each other and smoking. And I, I don't know, it's, it's just kind of that uh, camaraderie that I've talked about and that, that instant connection, just a house show environment. There's nothing too over the top or ridiculous that they're trying to accomplish with the video, but just because like a bunch of people having a great time. Was that a real concert that they were putting on and they were documenting it? Or was that a staged like show for the music video? Do you know? I don't. But I'm, I could imagine it could be like probably a little bit of both. They could have just, at least how I would have done it, would be like record that song, have them play it twice, record it with as many different angles as you can, and then they can just keep playing their show. It seemed like a real thing. It's like uh, I've seen footage from other venues like that around Philly of them around the time in basements and just in these houses and everyone just crammed in there. And uh, being a year of not going to a concert, it just makes me all the more... <laughs> sure all the more angsty about that and just like missing that kind of connection to a band and people and music in general. Yeah. That's interesting that you say that uh, because not only does this music video really give you that sense of place, you know, this is like one of the like things I think for me, at least listening to modern baseball that defines them as Midwest emo, you know, it's that sense of place. It's that feeling. And I think that music video, not only with the music itself for what it is, taking you there and capturing that. But this music video gives you the exact sense of who is going to see this show. What kind of room are they playing in? How many people are showing up to see them, you know, and you really do feel transported. It's very DIY the way the music video was produced. You know, obviously, like you said, it was a $600 budget, which for some people, you know, that's a pile of gold. And for some people that's, you know, what the fuck am I supposed to do with $600? But Either way, you know, I think that their, their music videos help establish them as Midwest emo and establishing that sense of place. And they do that classic shot of Brendan sitting there and everything moving fast around him and just like kind of sulking in a corner. And it's been done a million times before, but I think it works well in this video and kind of makes him stand out because everyone else is having a good time and jamming. And maybe that's kind of like some of his own internal things. Um, that we'll talk about later, but yeah, it's just interesting to see him presented like that so early on. Absolutely. Um, and the the other thing that's interesting that you said about not being able to go really to see concerts is on uh, it's on the list uh, a little bit ago. We had Kelly Kripe, who is a friend of both of us, uh, obviously. So shout out Kelly Kripe if you're listening to this. Um, and she brought on Indigo D'Souza's album, I Love My Mom. Are you familiar with that album at all? No. Maybe you would really like it. I, yeah, sorry, Kelly, to have to say this again, but I wasn't like crazy about it. There were a couple songs on it that I enjoyed, but overall I wasn't super crazy about it. Whereas Mason loved the album. He really loved it. And by the time this comes out, the, uh, this uh, will be a fact that is well known. Um, it was his number two 
favorite thing that we recorded oh, that we talked wow. about uh, on the pod through the entire first year of the pod. He really, really liked it. Uh, and one of the things he really liked about it is he said, you just get the feeling like you're in a room at a house show with people listening to this band. And if you can emblem like recreate that and be emblematic of that, you can capture something really special. Maybe not for everybody, you know, as like sure. I said, but you're going to you're going to capture that. And I I feel that more with Modern Baseball than I do with Indigo D'Souza's album. So, uh there's a little bit of there's a little bit of fun 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 to be had, I guess in that sense. Yeah. Um but you said Redone is also your other favorite track from the album. What is it about Redone that you like so much? Uh I like it because it's uh it feels like a midway point and it's the first song is Redo and this one's Redone. Right. I don't know they're both kind of similar and they touch on similar points and like they sound kind of similar, but I just, I like the progression of redone more. And I think where it carries into like the second half of the album. Um, because I think, I think I mainly just listened to the first half of this album when I was in high school and I, I certainly listened to like all of it, but going back in my re obsession with them since lockdown has started, um, I've just been listening to it full and I think the second half of the album is at least resonates more with me and is I think stronger. It's interesting that you say that as well. Um, because the song, I think you were in my profile picture once, uh, mm-hmm. one of the last things that I did at college was our, my friend, your friend, everybody's friend, first guest ever on this podcast, Alexander Barrett had a project that he had to do for class. It was like a shooting on film, like class or something like that. Film school. We love it. Uh, you got to love film school. Hashtag film school. And so yep. he was like, basically he was like, I have to do a music video, but it has to be all in camera. And so he picked the song. I think you were in my profile picture once Wow, from this album. And he was like, will you basically learn the song and then lip sync it for this in-camera edit music video. And I said, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's not a very long song. It's like a, not even a 90 seconds long. So me and Ellen Chapman, shout out Ellen Chapman. If you do find your way to this uh, music video or not this music video, but this uh, podcast, we in like an hour, we shot it on this little like film camera that he had checked out. And so I know the words to that song better than probably most songs uh, I've heard in my entire life. And so that song always stands out to me. And that ending of that song where uh, I'm, it's like the alphabet. I can't remember the entire lyric unless I sing the entire song, but it's something to the effect. I know the last lyric is heartbreaking. We won't speak like this again. They have such an amazing way of writing their lyrics so that they're poignant, but also singing the lyrics so that they're interesting coming out of the mouth. Because you might think, how would you sing heartbreaking? We won't see, uh, speak like this again. The way that it's sung is heartbreaking. We won't speak like this again. And it's just very interesting that the way that they've decided to like parse that out and sing that the tamp, the like pentameter or the tempo, I guess, for lack of a better term, the cadence. It's just very interesting. A lot of very interesting choices being made uh, on this album, on these songs. Do you have... Yeah, when when yeah, writing out the lyrics and even just looking at them and trying to read them back to you, it's like weird to hear myself say it that way because I have how it's sung in my head and I want to do that. But 
that's not what I'm trying to get across. But yeah, I know what you're saying. It's like the, the kind of cadence and pantano that they work with. And I don't even know how they wrote those songs. I'm not a musician in any sense, but it's, it, it really is impressive that they were able to do this in college. Like, what the fuck did we do in college comparatively? Uh, I started in a little film called Horse Girl, directed by the guy I'm sitting across from right now. And I mm. screamed in that movie. I, I haven't seen that one i'll you'll have to send me the uh vimeo link later yeah i'll have to just get into your account and send you the link from that uh, also send me the link to you and ellen uh singing mobo i want to see that i don't think that exists online you're gonna have to ask alexander for that one specifically. all right all right all right um i, I also love the song at chloe k uh on twitter yep. uh got some great lyrics in that song cook probably has my favorite lyric in the entire album, which is because God knows I'd rather die than be dying. It's not a cliche. No, sir. It is a logical preference because the way things were this year makes me think how good it all could be and how well it could end, which like we were saying with lockdown, thinking about this year or thinking about that idea of like how good this year could be and thinking about life in terms of this year Bro, this year's been fucking crazy for everybody. I don't know a single person yeah. who hasn't been affected by something, whether it's been police brutality or the you know coronavirus or just this insane government system that we live under, watching Joe Biden and Donald Trump barely get words out on stage. It just literally does make you go insane, and yet how can it not? Being online, seeing the way that all that shit works out, just thinking about this year if this year this year could go well i was like damn that gives me some fucking hope and i think this is a relatively hopeful album i think what do you yeah. think i think so I, I think a lot of the lyricism comes off that way and you know it, it talks a lot about like do-overs i want to start from the top maybe like a do-over that's the first line of it of right. the entire album so i think that's certainly something that permeates throughout especially with redone being kind of the halfway point um i'm pulling up the track list again Hell yeah yeah man. i I, I feel like it's it's fairly hopeful and they were young kids and, and yeah, they were reflecting back on high school and I'm sure stuff that was going on in college. I got a little fast. I got one fast fact for you about this album specifically. Okay. And I got one more question for you. Are you ready? Yeah. So the real fast fact that I have for you is sports was recorded in the free studios at Drexel University where founding band members Jake Ewald and Brendan Lunkins attended. I feel like that's not true. I feel, or I'm not true in the sense that I feel like Brandon Lukens did not attend Drexel, but I think Ian did. I think Brendan went to the other one, the Chestnut, whatever that you were talking about. Yeah, so maybe wherever I got this information is not exactly uh, doing their due diligence. But either way, the album was engineered by Ian Farmer before he actually joined the band themselves. Looking back on the recording, Ewald said it was mostly our singer Brendan doing most of the legwork. Cause we didn't have a real band yet. And that's his little quote on the production of this. But yeah, like you were saying, they did this when they were in fucking college. They set this album out into the world and you know, it's all the, the rest is history. And so my last yeah. little question for you is what do you think they're establishing in sports that we see permeated throughout the rest of their work? I think the lyricism, I think their confidence in themselves and what they're, writing about and talking about i think that only evolves over the next two records but it's interesting to see that kind of stuff here and they're able to be self-reflexive on themselves and they're not you know because 
you get if you're so vague about what you're writing about then no one's going to connect with it if you're totally. trying to kind of like hide behind something then it's it, it's going to get lost on the, the audience so but i think they do a really good job of uh of being very upfront about things in this i think it's a, it's like a really good baseline and it's caught a lot of people's attention at the time and they were like i cannot believe yeah it's just like you were talking about the 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 intonation of how they're singing and and all that kind of stuff it was it's it's very sing-songy and it's it's kind of like nothing i'd ever heard before absolutely chef are we good to move on to the next album or is there anything else you want to say about sports before we move on no i'm i'm good good to move on yes chef we'll hop hey listen if you want to get to the dining car real quick this train's about to take off you want to get a quick snack from the dining car real quick um yeah i got my snack yeah baby some mints and you need it because uh like they say in shrek your breath stinks yeah i keep these by my computer i've been on a bit of a mint diet recently if oh. i eat them it makes me feel like i've eaten something that's interesting uh He's not had been on this podcast yet. I'd like him to be, but uh, my buddy Christian Flashman has a bit of an obsession with Tums. Uh, you have a bit mm. of an obsession with mints. Look at I that. like Tums uh, in my own sense, but yeah, mints. Uh, it's been a new thing. It's kind of <laughs> it's something I'm trying out. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, might make the switch over to something else later. But and those know. are uh, what what brand of mint is that? Icebreakers Cool Mint. Icebreakers uh, Cool Mint. Okay. Earlier in the month oh it's already the beginning of the month sorry last month last month yeah uh, i was on the trader joe's mints kick they're right there when you okay. check out so i just throw it in the the, the checkout sure um, but yeah i picked these up the other day and loving them that's my review of icebreakers cool mint were icebreakers the ones that like it was like the flips flavors where it was like one side was like fruity and then the other side was more minty do you remember those i think they do have those uh flavors or whatever yeah. this one's got it's got the uh the one little opening here so you yes. can open for just one or many if you want to share that i'll share one with you real quick yep. yeah clap and grab and Ooh. yeah that's some minty goodness. Good. yeah that's pretty yeah. good uh where do you stand on altoids and tic tacs in the mint world um, I like Altoids. I don't know about Tic Tacs. I think they're too small. I need a little bit more. I know you can just pop more, but I like I like the consistency of one thing. You like the heft that an Altoid brings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah! Well, make sure you get some. Make sure you get yourself a snack because we're about to dive into what is probably modern baseball's signature album that has their most signature signature song on it. That is 2014's You're Gonna Miss It All. Jack, what is it about this one that you like so much? Uh, I think it was the one that introduced me to them, if I'm not mistaken. I don't exactly remember, but I I don't think I got to, into them in 2012. That's That would have been when I was like first starting high school. So th this, and I, I know I wasn't listening to them then. So I think this was probably around the time that this album came out. I This is the one I've listened to the most. I do think... I think it's their best. It's their best that in, in my, in my humble opinion. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it built off a lot of what they did with sports. I think there's better production overall. Um, I just think the, the lyricism is a lot stronger and you can see a progression in what was done and where they're at now. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think 
most people would disagree with you that this is their best album. Uh, it builds, like you said, on everything that they do in the first album. It's just kind of sounds cleaner and uh, has more sharp writing in it. It's just a better album. Not to say that sports is a bad album at all, but this one really just improves upon everything that they established, like you said, in that first album uh, and just makes it better. Well, kind of like you mentioned where Sean wasn't even in the band at the time and Ian technically wasn't either. He like engineered the first album after this, they had been on a tour. They were friends. They were a collective unit of four making this music. So I think that comes off a lot more and it's a lot more like cohesion and and there's a lot more ideas getting thrown around and everyone kind of has their moment to shine in different ways. Um, so yeah, it, it just seems like there's more, you know, great minds behind it instead of just Jake and Brendan. It's not, you now have Ian who's like full force and um, Sean who's on drums. Absolutely. There's like a real united front uh, on this one because even Sean in probably their most famous song, Sean gets a moment to sing, uh, you know, during your graduation, which is probably their signature song, the song that probably most people know them by, even if they don't really know modern baseball and they're just sort of a casual pop punk or emo fan, they probably know that song. That's how I was introduced to modern baseball because to bring him back again, Mr. Alexander Barrett, big modern baseball fan, actually. Really, really mm. big modern baseball fan. He mean he chose to fucking do, you know, I think you were in my profile picture once, which isn't even like a super popular song. No, by no, them, it's funny. Um, for that project that he did uh, on the on shooting on film. Then I heard your graduation. I was like, damn, where the fuck have these guys been? Like, it literally was like, holy shit, this is crazy. And I think I was listening to them for the first time in either 2017 or 2018 when they ended their career as modern baseball. So, you know, yeah. like we keep saying, they came in white hot and they left just as white hot. But yeah, man, this is the album that really, I think they are defined by in most people's heads. Uh, yeah. Do you have some favorite tracks off this one? What are your favorite tracks, your favorite cuts? All of them front to back. This one wow. is, uh, okay. is my favorite. Like this is one of my, in, you know, looking back and, and just getting more into them. I'm, I think I, this honestly might be one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, it's it's one that I just like hold very near and dear to my heart. Um, the ones that stick out to me, and I think the first song, song I heard was Apartment. I think that's the one Elise showed me um, back when we were in high school. Um, Charlie Black is one that sticks out. I, like, I just want to mosh to that song, and it's it's got such a great finale to it. Um, and it's crazy to think that your graduation... I guess it technically was the single that they pushed for this album, but it's track number 10. Like right. usually those tend to go more towards the top. It's close to the end. Um, your graduation and two good things back to back are really incredible. Yeah. I love the lyricism on two good things. I think that's a Jake song and then pothole to kind of end it is just like a nice little acoustic thing that Jake does. And it, it, it sounds kind of like the beginnings of what would become Slaughter Beach Dog. Interesting. Okay. I've not heard any of Slaughter Beach Dog. That's definitely something that's on my list uh, to look at now. Wait, that, uh, this is the wrong one. This Wait, is you, the wrong you show. You're not supposed you to say that. Say that. Um, speaking of Two Good Things and the fact that your graduation and Two Good Things are back to back, my favorite lyrics from this album are from your graduation and Two Good Things, respectively. I had a tough time picking actually what my favorite lyric from your graduation was because the way in which things are juxtaposed together, 
pretty much the entire song is well written and interesting. But I picked yeah. this moment from your graduation in the first verse where he says, bullshit, you fucking miss me. There I said it. I guess I'll talk to you in a few months. There's just so much going on in that sentence. So will you break that down with me real quick, Jack? Yeah. So first of all, he says, bullshit. Everything else prior that he had said, not true. Forget about it. It's very tricky it's, and hard. It's such to a lie yeah. It's such a, a switch up. It's such a switch up after the first verse to say, "No, I was lying about all that, and you miss me, and I know that." It's it's kind of it's the ping ponging effect that you get of doubting yourself, and like I'm feeling this way, but I'm doubting myself, so I'm thinking this thing, but maybe not. I, I think that's what I get from that first line. So he says, yeah, that's right. He says, bullshit. That's the first thing he says in that line and then follows it up with, you fucking miss me. That's a declarative statement. Did everything else I said, bullshit, I'm not going to lie anymore. I know that you miss me, which, of course, if you listen to the song, you know, it's probably a thought that he had. It might not be the truth, but it's what the speaker believes, you know? Right. I think it's one of the first lines of it is, saw you from the bottom of the staircase. And if yes. we take it back to Alexander Barrett's favorite song, um, <laughs> I think you're in my profile. In my profile once. picture once. I think in that song it talks about um, like something in the staircase. I saw you from the bottom of the stairs. Before yeah. you knew I was coming, which is the opening line uh, of that song. Yeah. Um, and then he says, "There, I said it." And now he's like, "This is me being honest with you, even though it's probably not the truth." He's being honest, even if it's not the actual reality of yeah. the situation. So he's got to get it off his chest. It's bullshit. You fucking miss me there. I said it. And to finish that line off, he says, I guess I'll talk to you in a few months. Like he's admitting basically <laughs> like this is going to happen again. I'm insane. You know, I don't know what to do. It's just an amazing. It's loaded. It's just a super loaded line. Yeah. Um, and uh, then after that, in the song, two good things, I caught this this most recent time trying hard not to look like I'm trying that hard, failing miserably at everything, including that. I mean, just put that yeah. on a fucking throw pillow. I mean, that's that's like the anthem right there, to be honest with you, I think, at yeah. least, you know, when you're young. That, that song's interesting because, at least in kind of picking it apart and thinking about it, it's, it's Jake talking about being overwhelmed by responsibility and these things of a girlfriend and a band and all these things that shouldn't overwhelm him because they're good things. Right. But the, the fact is that they do. And all he wants to do be is just, alleviate from that stress for a little bit um i i feel like that's a very relatable thing and it's like even when things are going well i'm still overwhelmed by so many things going on exactly even if they're quote unquote things that i want or good things if there's a lot of them it can be hard to balance which sounds like like a you know first world problem but problems are problems you know yeah. regardless i mean joe rogan's got problems <laughs> i got problems you got problems we all got problems it doesn't yeah. matter so it's nice to hear people talk about their problems in this way. The other uh, lyrics that I like from that song is math. Um, one girl, one man, two paychecks are more than I can handle. Mathematically, it can't be more than uh, more than one end of a candle. Bottom of the ninth can't find my socks. Bottom of the ninth can't find my socks. It's the baseball thing, baby. It's back. Modern baseball is fucking back, baby. We're playing ball. So let's go ahead and talk about your graduation first, which is probably yes. their signature song. Uh, 
describe this music video for folks who maybe not have seen it before. What's going on? What do you like about it? So it's a lot of shots of Brendan sitting. I feel like it's very similar to the weekend thing. It's like he's sitting somewhere and there's a lot of stuff going on all around him. Girls are talking with him and it's, I think, playing off a lot of the lyricism in this song. Um, and it's all these situations and his hair's different. So there's like passage of time, supposedly. And it's a lot of these like big crane shots of him in a bed and him on a bench talking with this girl or in a car, um, just kind of zoning out and not paying attention to like the conversation at hand. What I love about this one is all those small vignettes that are kind of like broken up and, and bring up the whole, whole uh, video. But then on top of that, the performance which is similar to the weekend one, but this time they're in a skate park underneath a bridge and then it starts snowing. And it's, it's the most, it's one of the most magical things, honestly, of like how they're presented because it's, it's such a, like the part where he, he sings the chorus, it, all the instrumentation kind of comes out and like, you know, strips away and it's yeah. just him singing. And I feel like that, the snow imagery plays into that so well and seeing everyone scream that so much is like so insane. Cause it's like kind of the snow softening the sound almost. And it's like, very like when you're outside at night in a snowstorm, it, it can be very quiet and see, having the instrumentation being stripped back and then seeing everyone scream those lyrics is just, it's so powerful. I think it's like the coolest thing ever. It is. It's really, really cool. The snow part of it is really fantastic. The different locales, that they're going to the slow is there their zoom outs right when we're introduced- I think they're dollies yeah yeah there, there's some behind the scenes stuff on the run for cover records channel and I think they must have had some kind of crane or dolly that they were working with though that shot where he is in that Halloween costume with the fangs in his mouth and then it goes to them sitting without the fangs in his mouth like how it's like the same location just cutting to different locales that's like the best shit on earth honestly yeah it's so nice, so good. Uh, and the art direction's fantastic as well. Everything feels very specific yeah. and very, like, on point. You know, it feels like we yeah. are in different places. Everything looks distinct. Everything looks specific. Everything looks individual. There's some incredible shots of um, just, like, bird's-eye view shots looking down in the perform. Oh, sorry. What is, in what, the performance what, 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 of everything. Did you just karate chop something? I just hit my the the top of the headphones. I'm not used to having headphones this big. Yeah, baby. Um, well, you're not used to having all, all some other things that are as big. So that's a dick joke for oh. all of you folks out there. Oh, I get it now. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, all all the bird's eye, you know, god shots, I think are incredible, and they must have done it with a crane or something. But specifically when Sean comes in, yeah. which I think is one of the only times that he ever sings on any song, he's just looking straight up into it and just like goes off and starts singing and then it just erupts. And it's so cool to see the snow falling down around the camera as it's looking directly down. Absolutely. And then we have rock bottom as well mm-hmm. uh, for the yeah. song rock bottom. How would you describe this music video to the folks who haven't seen it? It's also vignette but more so um, built on like it's a, it's, you know, standing sets on a, on a soundstage stage and it's Brendan sitting, playing the song, and it's kind of spinning and showing all these different vignettes. There's, like, a food fight. There's a dodgeball thing. It's very high school. Like, it, it plays off a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, I think there's one towards the end that's, like, loss of innocence, like, after prom, having sex, I'm guessing, for the first time. Um, 
but it's all these like they, they do it in a really interesting way specifically the loss of innocence one because it's it's built in this box in this uh you know room that they've built with flats but the actors are against the wall but it's shot to look like a bird's eye view shot and right. then all of a sudden they step off the wall and it's not like really supposed to trick you it's not like an optical illusion or whatever but it's still just a cool way of shooting it like you could have shot it a different way you could have just had them laying down horizontally but instead you had them standing up i guess absolutely uh great music videos i think the rock bottom music video also kind of deconstructs the music video a little bit just as like a thing and like you know people just see the final product of a music video think they had as much money as they wanted to they had as much time as they wanted you know and that beginning of the music video it kind of deconstructs that as though not always is everyone who you want to be in charge is actually in charge. There's a lot of sort of strings being pulled. It's kind of a shitty yep. thing to work on if you're not like a creative head on it. So also just a nice little comment, I guess, critique, commentary on music video culture as a whole. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's interesting because, well, it says here that it was directed by Kyle Thrash, but I thought I remembered seeing somewhere that Brendan directed it. And I think... Kyle oh, really? was more of like the cinematographer and like creative director on it. I, I or maybe that was Brendan. I can't remember, but I think it's in lieu of you know. I think what a lot of artists do when they get to a certain point of like, oh, I want to direct the music videos and have right. more say in that kind of stuff and well, be credited as the director. Well, I mean, that's the interesting thing about music videos is that it's hard to say where ideas came from because right. your first and foremost job theoretically as a music video director is to do what the artist wants unless you're someone crazy directing a music video like unless spike jones is doing your music video now then you're gonna do just, what he wants yeah. exactly just listen to spike jones but when david fincher was first starting out you know whatever madonna whatever you want me to do basically you know uh yeah. i have ideas you know and i'm sure if david fincher heard that he'd be like you fucking bitch that's not how it went down fuck you it'll never work in this town again i'm never letting you watch mank but uh <laughs> dude that movie looks good i don't know i don't know that movie looks fucking great i didn't watch the trailer nah well it still looks good <laughs> even if you didn't watch the no trailer, no it still i looks good. i from the stills i've seen it does look very good um but yeah, like we were keep saying, this is probably their best overall album, both musically and yeah. lyrically. Some other songs that I think were worth shouting out, besides the things that everybody knows that we've already talked about. Fine Great, which is the first song on the album. Yeah. Great way to open the album. Gets you pretty much right in the right headspace to listen to this. And then the old gospel choir, I think, is very well constructed and orchestrated. Yeah. Anything else that, you got to that... say? That classic line that I talked about already, sharp as a tech, but in the sense that you're not smart, just a prick. And I think he sings it again, but he turns it on himself. Yes. Like sharp as a tech, but in the sense that I'm not smart, just a prick, which I think is interesting. Definitely. A lot, a lot of really good writing going on in this. Yeah. Kind of a, just a great album through and through. Yeah. Like if no one had listened to Modern Baseball, I would say start here. If only just because that's kind of how I did. And it's fun to... It's fun to go back and listen to sports and uh, and see kind of where they started. But sure. I do think this is their best album. Uh, I got two fast facts for you about You're Gonna okay. Miss It All. You ready? Mm-hmm. Your graduation appeared on a best of emo songs list from Vulture magazine. So getting some recognition by the big publications nice. on that one. And then Ewald said when discussing the writing process, uh, he said one member of the group would come up with a lyric and then, quote, 
we'll all go run off by ourselves and try to build around that. And like you were saying at the very beginning, they're a united front at this point. They're coming up with things yeah. together. It feels like a unit as opposed to just a couple guys trying to figure it out. So, you know, that's very cool that they're all trying to collaborate with each other, you know, to put it in movie speak. It's really hard to write a script with two people when you're both sitting at the computer taking turns typing, you know, but it kind of sounds like that's how they did it for this album, more or less, which is pretty unique. Yeah, that is very unique. I had never heard that before. Anything else you want to say about You're Gonna Miss It All before we move on to their last release? No, I think that's kind of it. Okay. Uh, we're now, we're, now we're moving on to their last release, Holy Ghost, from 2016. Very interesting album. I had never heard this one before. Mm-hmm. I had heard things from sports, not all the way through. I had heard a lot of You're Gonna Miss It All, but I had never heard anything. Uh, from Holy Ghost. So what do you what do you like about this one, Jack? And uh, what do you think is consistent throughout all three albums? And what do you think are the big changes that we see throughout the three albums now that we're sort of looking at them once again in the overview with l- them being done releasing albums after this? Yeah, I think uh, I think the consistency is their self-reflectiveness and they're putting themselves in the chopping blocks and they'll admit their own faults and critique themselves and put themselves out there i just think the the change is it's less so in this album about girls and breaking up and the that awkward thing and it just uh it tackles a lot of like darker themes totally. and it's definitely their saddest album i think um the it's a lot well at least okay d- did you know that it's it's technically like broken up into two parts was that one of your fast facts? No, I, that was not one of my fast facts. In what way is it broken up into two parts? So I only, I, I think I figured this out recently because I got the record and usually a record is side A and side B, Sure. but this one is side J and side B. So side J is the beginning of the album and it's Holy Ghost Through Hiding. And those are all Jake Ewald songs. Those are all oh, songs that he yes. wrote and he sings on. And then from coding these to lucans through the end of the album is all brendan lucan's stuff so i think i had never really seen that done before i think they referenced like an outcast album that had done that um would be speaker box the love below maybe because that's like technically technically a double album speaker box slash the love below so possibly that's interesting though that they were taking from outcast that's very very interesting but I, know, I guess right? it's like the last thing you'd think about but um yeah it is very much darker than everything else you yeah. know there's some very sad songs when you sort of lift up the hood on some of them coding these to lucans is incredibly sad i did not yeah. realize like just how brutal things had gotten basically for these mm-hmm. guys in the band but i want to make sure that you get uh, all your words out what else what what is it about this album that you enjoy so much uh as as a whole um i think it's that just that it's more mature and um the story of where i was at the time this album came out is i was graduating high school and i really liked modern baseball so i was excited for this record to come out and i listened to it and i i maybe gave it like one or two listens and then i just forgot about it it didn't connect with me but it does a lot more now maybe just because i've been through all this stuff and maybe i'm a little closer to where they were um, when they were writing this music or something like that. I, I think it's a lot more mature album of, a, of an album. and um, But that's what happened. I was in high school and I listened to this album and I thought to myself, I see here that they're going to play in Columbus, but 
knowing how concerts work and they're promoting this album, they're probably going to play a lot of these songs. And I didn't like this album, so I'm not going to go. And so I didn't because wow. I thought I, I thought to myself, like, well, it, like not, not it never even crossed my mind. This would be their last record, their last tour, any of that kind of stuff. So right. don't want to say it's one of my biggest regrets, but it's one. <laughs> it's one of them. <laughs> one of them damn no i i I, i'm i'm really disappointed um that i never got to see them and i've seen slaughter beach dog since a handful of times it's not the same um and i looking back on it yeah maybe i didn't like it at the time but the album's certainly grown on me as i've grown up and um i wish more than anything i could see them play live now yeah unfortunately based on what uh ewald has said and what it sounds like where brendan lukens is at uh you know, hell might have to freeze over for that to happen. Yeah. Not in the sense yeah. that they're not friends anymore. It's just they got other fish to fry. Uh, but you said you've seen Slaughter Beach Dog a handful of times. What's the biggest difference between Slaughter Beach Dog and modern baseball? They're kind of more folk alternative rock. There's still a certain part of this there. Um, they actually have a really interesting way of, of like Jake's lyricism tells a story. There's this one song called 104 Degrees and the lyrics it just reads like he's telling you a story. It's kind of talking, kind of like he's reading a storybook type thing. And it never really has like a, a typical chorus verse chorus, you know, bridge or whatever. Um, so some of his songs kind of come off like that. I don't think it's as as strong as as some of the stuff that Modern Baseball put out. It's just different. It's it's still really good, and I still love going to see them. But uh, I don't think it has the rest of the the heart there. I, they play with some other guys that from various um bands in the scene i think gotcha uh what are your favorite tracks off holy ghost um apple cider i don't mind and just another face i like um i like the brandon half of this album a lot more gotcha that's interesting because i like the jake ewald half of this album a lot more why do you like the jake ewald one uh i I don't know exactly because to be honest with you, I don't love this album, like all the, like yeah. just as a whole, but the songs, the, the stuff on the album that I like the most, uh, is Holy ghost into wedding singer. And then hiding. Oh, that's a great, that Holy ghost into wedding singer is just a great switch up. It's just a great, like little intro song. And then to jump straight into wedding singer. I do think wedding singer is one of the strongest songs on this album though, but I think collectively the second half of, um, of Brendan's stuff is a lot better. But it's a shame because it's only five songs and three of them are under two minutes. Yeah. One of them is 207 and the last song is four minutes. So it's just, yeah. I And I know a lot of their songs are kind of small in, in general and shorter, but uh, it's a bummer that that was kind of the last stuff that they released. And it's interesting because like you said, coding these to Lukens, uh, Jake Ewald takes the first verse and it's sort of about his relationship to Brendan Lukens since Lukens was diagnosed with bipolar. And the second verse mm-hmm. is Lukens responding uh, to Jake Ewald. And it's about their friendship. And I think that, if anything, if you wanted to put it, you know, possibly in a reductive term, but the first two albums are about their relationship to women and their relationship to how they feel about themselves in women. Whereas this mm-hmm. album is kind of about friendship and how they feel about where they've been in their lives since modern baseball took off and yeah. their relationships to each other and how they feel about their relationships to each other in this, again, four years since the first album came out in 2012. This is a four year stretch. This is no time at all. And then they're gone. 
more or less. It's crazy. Yeah, and a lot of the Jake stuff, um, he talks about just being burnt out on tour, and he talks about his grandfather dying, and that's kind of one of the key points in the documentary called Tripping in the Dark. Um, and I think that's where like the, the album title came from, Holy Ghost. Right. Um, so it's interesting to see that side of things. And yeah, the kind of passing of the baton on coding these Talukans. And then, um, and then Brendan talking a lot about his mental health and bipolar disorder, which was the first time I think he had really talked about this kind of stuff. So it was, I'm sure hard to do, but uh, yeah, it comes off like, I, I just love it. I love the second half of the album. It's interesting. It's just, it's just interesting. I mean, I think there's a lot to enjoy under the hood about the second half, sure. but I don't know, at least for me, that first half, uh, I just enjoy more, I guess. But like I said, yeah. I don't love I don't love this album by any stretch of the imagination. Sure, 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 sure. As a whole, and I definitely would. If you're a modern baseball completionist, it's definitely one that you have to learn, listen to. But definitely, someone who's listening to them for the first time, like you said, should definitely start it. You're gonna miss it all, and then dive into sports, and then dive in to Holy Ghost. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. The I only I think I only have like two fast facts for you. I think on this album, are you ready? Yeah. Uh, Holy Ghost is the first modern baseball album that was not recorded by the band themselves. Instead, the members obtained help from, do you know who produced this album? I do not. Joe Reinhardt of Hopalong and Algernon Cadwallader, I believe is how you say Cadwallader. The album was recorded at Headroom Studios in Philadelphia. The album is, like you said, the album is split in half between both guitarist Jake uh, Ewald and Brendan Lukens. Ewald wrote the first uh, six songs and Lukens wrote the last five. Ewald's songs mainly revolved around the passing of his grandfather, while Lukens focuses on the struggles of mental health and depression. And then the only other fast fact that I have for you is there is a hidden track on this album that is not available on Spotify and it was only available on the vinyl, but you can look it up on YouTube. Do you know about this? Uh, no, this is news to me. Maybe what, what is it called? It's called Stanger rises. And I Stanger Stanger S T A N G E R. Oh, okay. And they did it on the best show with Tom Sharpling. Uh, so shout out to Tom Sharpling. Love that guy. Love the best show. Uh, love hmm. just hearing Tom do funny stuff. He's a really funny dude. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there. So you can look that up on YouTube hmm. and hear a rip of that, basically, uh, more or less. But it's not included on the Spotify version. I think it was only on the vinyl. So a little shout out to if you, do you know Holy Ghost. Do you know on the vinyl where it's? Um like placed is it placed like after just thing. another face yeah oh interesting yeah I, 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 um, it's like hard to make out exactly what's going on in the song from the rips that i heard there's not like a ton mm-hmm. of like great rips of it but it exists it's out there so if you never have heard stanger rises and you're a huge modern baseball head or just love holy ghost definitely worth checking out if you didn't know about it yeah can i talk about um just another face and the doc real quick you can, and I have to admit to you, Jack, uh, I forgot to watch the doc, so I am deeply sorry about that. Really I am. I'm on that one. fuming right now. Um, Please go off. Can you can you promise me live on air that you will watch it? <laughs> yeah, I, I promise you live on air. What's today? Uh, October eighth, twenty twenty. I promise you, I will watch this doc. Mainly, the end of it is incredible, and it's all cut to just another face. And it's this whole montage of pictures and little videos. And it, it makes me cry every time. It's so beautiful. And just to see them all as friends. And it's so 
crazy because at the end of the doc there this is promoting holy ghost it came out around the time the holy ghost came out and they're talking about the future and they're talking about everything and and like just another face it's it's such a song about like self-doubt and low self-esteem but it doesn't romanticize it and it's saying it's okay to be sad and times are tough right now things will get better and this is i'm sure lucan's talking about everything that he's been going through and it's such a hopeful song and it's so it's so sad and happy i'm it's like it makes me so melancholy to see the montage of them playing together over the years all these pictures with this song and they're saying here's this very like thoughtful personal album that we're about to put out and all these people saying they're going to go down in history. Can't wait to see what's going to like come up for them. Right. There's, like the promise is, is, is so fruitful in their future and Brennan's getting better, but in reality it's their last song. And my final question for you, uh, based on that, actually, it's another good segue that you've provided me with. Everyone thought, you know, there's going to be more modern baseball on the horizon. And sure enough, Holy ghost was their last album. And like we've talked about, it's not looking like it's a good chance that they're going to get back together, but who knows? Anything can happen. But sure. based on what we know now, it's probably unlikely. So my final question for you before we wrap this bad boy up, what do you think the legacy of modern baseball is? They're supposedly done now. What do you think their legacy is? What do you think their legacy will be? I think it will be the music and it will be the image that they presented to themselves. Like you said, it's, um, it's never, it's, it's not like angry music. It's reflective and they're so forward with what they're saying and their lyricism um, from the get-go, from when they were in college and that, that goes all the way through. And I've, you know, read so many testimonials of just people talking about how this has helped them. And I just think it's going to be a lasting thing that people are going to be discovering for years. And um, it's a nice, it's not nice that they broke up, but it's kind of a nice like contained thing like it's it started it totally took off and it ended maybe a little abruptly like like right on the face of that but there's kind of a history that you can draw through all their releases and see them grow and see how great of friends they are and on all these uh and all these interviews and all that kind of stuff so i don't know if that answered your question uh sure it absolutely did answer my question what what do you think is their their legacy uh, I think their legacy is going to be, or, and is currently, I think it will only, obviously I think it will only continue to grow, um, because yeah. they've only not been making music for four years, you know, um, they've made, they have been not releasing music for as long as they were making and releasing music together, Yeah, uh, which is kind of crazy to think well, about. As modern baseball, cause half of them are in the Slaughter Beach Dog. I, I think Sean's doing something else. Um, Brendan, I, I looked at his Twitter recently doesn't seem to be doing well so sure. still which, which which is a shame it is a shame but i think as as the modern baseball project uh i think they're going to be remembered for bringing pop punk and emo midwestern emo sort of back and having a little mini renaissance with that uh in the early 2010s and it'll be interesting to see just sort of how the 2010s is remembered musically as well because it was a very diverse time, yeah. I think. A mm-hmm. uh, lot of access that was being had by people who maybe had never had access before. Um, so I don't 100% know because it's only been four years since they stopped really releasing music as modern baseball. But I think their lyricism is going to live on as some of the most thoughtful, youthful lyrics that we've heard yeah. in you know the past however many years. And I think that they're going to be mostly remembered – 
uh, as a band that you could listen to if you were sad, and you could also listen to them if you wanted to have a good time. They were very versatile sounding, and For I think sure. that's kind of where they're at right now. Um, and we'll, it'll, we'll, we can only see where uh, their legacy kind of takes them or how their legacy is shaped uh, in the future. Yeah. They uh, they need to play just an anniversary show, <laughs> one comeback show. I don't care where it is. I'll be there. Damn. That's all I'm saying. If you're listening to this, Brendan, Jake, Sean, Ian, please. I'm not begging you, but I'm I'm close to it. He's not begging you. But there's only a small list of things he won't do in order to get you guys to play a reunion show. And I think that goes for a lot of folks. I think you guys would sell out, even if it was for one night only, and you were playing in uh, Hollywood Beach, Florida, or whatever that place is called in Florida. It's just some bumfuck town nowhere. I think people I would, would not go to, to Florida. You. Okay, he would not go to Florida. <laughs> but, but he Pick would go any of the other places. 49 states or the rest of the world. Damn. Jack? Thank you so much for being on the show, my friend. Thank you for it was having lovely me. to have you. Uh, what would you like to plug? Mm, good question. Um, my film, Planet Cosmo, is playing at Nifty virtually at the end of the month, maybe in t- two weeks. I, I don't know uh, the exact dates on that. Damn. Basically, uh, I'm looking it up right now. The 23rd. starts the 23rd. It goes... I believe until November 1st, you can buy a pass. You can watch my film. You can watch my friend Willa's film and then song go to the beach, tons of other Chapman kids, just some great films in general. So that's what I'm plugging. Hell yeah. Very cool. And also check out Jack's website. If you haven't looked at Jack's website yet, uh, a lot of work on there. You can look at everything Jack's pretty much done uh, for the last couple of years. It's a nice little website. I like it. Thanks. It's just my name.com. My name.com. My name.com. Go there and you'll find all my work. <laughs> you'll find all of his fucking shit. Uh, you can follow this show on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at MyFavePod and you can follow us on Instagram at MyFavorite underscore podcast. You can listen to my other podcast. It's on the list with Noah and Mason. You can follow us on all the socials there. We have a link tree now. So if you go to the most recent episode, big, the one you're in, big. don't talk while I'm doing the plugs. Thanks. Uh, that's the, the only part of the show I get any joy out of anymore uh (laughs) uh you can go listen to 45 46 episodes if it's on the list we're probably still going to be on a small hiatus when this comes out but we are coming back maybe the bonus content will have dropped and you'll be able to hear jack's little voice talking about hedwig and the angry inch how that was my number two favorite thing that we talked about during the first year of it's on the list so lots of bonus content Dude, well, you and all the other people we talked to are bonus content. So, shout out to being shout out to being bonus content. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you can go listen to all that shit. We'll be back very soon on that on that tip. Um, that's probably it as far as things I need to plug. Jack, Campisi, thanks for being here, folks. Uh, of course, Jack. Thanks for figuring out your Wi-Fi situation, your internet situation, so we can actually. Thank you, the this. house. The house got me here. Damn! Shout outs to the house. Let's name that. Let's go through the house real quick. Shout out each person and shout out. Shout what out, Paula Wolfsdorf for not interrupting this call. Shout out Noah Davenport for giving me his uh, Ethernet cable. Shout out Jacob Shivers for giving me their headphones. Amen, baby. Jack, help me say goodbye to the folks now. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.